what's going on, friends? How y'all doing? Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Richie T. Stedman. Yes, you are. From the Cultural Hall. Richie T. is here, everybody, over at the Cultural Hall. Oh, you didn't tell me I was supposed to say that. You just said, say your name in a very no, 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 news no. authoritative way. No, no, you leave, me, you leave it to Let me. You leave it to me. Let me try again. To, okay, sorry. Hi, I'm Jeff Openshaw. <laughs> and I'm Richie T. Stedman from the Cultural Hall. Sure, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. I was just trying to give you a plug. I could have said nothing that you're nobody, but you're not nobody. Well, you knew that I would weasel it in eventually. Well, yeah, that's fine. You know, we're, we do the cross pollination here. We're just like bees, just doing our <laughs> thing, carrying our pollen sacks on our legs and living the truth. Uh, I don't know that. I don't want. Uh, no, Richie, I think we should all talk about the pollen sacks that we carry around. Just two men. Are they? Are our, they? Are they like? Uh, I don't know that much about bees, and you'll have to help me. Is it like a little gathering? You know, like a like a kangaroo has a little joey sack. Is it? Is no, that how it works for they bees call it a pollen? sack, but it's it's more like there's just like clumps of pollen on their legs. Oh, okay, disappointing. A little bit. Sorry. Yeah, they don't have. They're not marsupials, but marsupial insects would be. That would be something if they ever. I, I was them. sort of hoping that it was like a branded thing with the bees. They had the the honeycomb on the side, and they sort of carry it around. Ooh, my bag is almost full. Bees. Too early for that. Okay. No, no, no. You're good. Now I'm, now I'm just thinking of Job. On, I'm just thinking of Job on Arrested Development. Bees, which I'm starting to watch again. Yeah. Uh, this will be my third time through the Arrested Development series. My wife has not seen them all, is so this, we are sitting down. To be clear, are you including seasons four and five, or is this just a one through three joint? Well, in this in this watching of it, we will watch four and five. Have you seen four and five? I have seen four and five one time. Yeah. So we'll be. We'll are be you doing going the to watch now? Are you going to watch season four? In the remixed version that they did to make it so it made more sense chronologically, because you know he re he re edited the entire season after later sure. on. Yeah. Or are you going to watch it as originally intended, where it focuses on like one one character per episode and like keeps telling the whole story, then going back to a different episode? You can find that, but you have to look in like the special features on Netflix to find the original airing sequence. Mm. Now Netflix has made the uh, re edited one. I think that I would trust Netflix to guide my viewing, and I'll do it as they indicate for me to do. That's your first mistake. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, that's fun. Season five got very weird. Very, very strange there by the end of that show. Well, and I'm just waiting for the reunited cast when they go back to Mayberry. That was one of my favorite things. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. That might be Andy Griffith. I might be confusing shows. I don't think we'll ever get more Arrested Development because Jeffrey Tambor is on the outs, Mm, and, mm, uh, mm. and, 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 um... Jessica Walter died last year. Yeah, I was going to say. So, like but they're doing amazing things with CG. So who knows? That's true. It'll be like two pocket Coachella. <laughs> who knew? I'm excited. Who knew to watch we were going to go there? I'm excited for your wife. That's that's ter- it's a terrific t- chance to watch one of the funniest shows ever made at the first go around. I mean, my like, my wife had had such an interesting like uh, adolescence. That there are lots of things that I've been able to introduce her to that I would have had no idea. She had never been to a theater show before we got married. Huh. Literally never been to a play or a musical. I got is to take because, her. Is that because of Utah's lack of culture? Well, she's from Louisiana. So well, it may be because of Louisiana's lack of culture. Um, but she was kind of raised in the country. And so all of her time was spent. Her mom trained uh, horses. And so they, every weekend or free moment, would be out in the pasture with horses. So she didn't get a lot of uh, play time, pun intended. Oh, well, this, uh, and is, then, this is just bucolic then. Good for her. Now that she's, what a, what a beautiful setting you've 
and and it wasn't until she was the age of 30 that we went to Disneyland. So her first trip to Disneyland was as a 30-year-old adult. And that was a fun experience as well. All right, that, that'll be a road we can't go down because as one who grew up right nearby Disneyland, I've not been for a long time and it saddens me. But uh, Well, why I, don't I, you go? We just don't go when I'm home. I don't know. It's ex- it's expensive. It's sure. permanently crowded now. There used to be an off season where you could go in the early spring or late when nobody would be there. It'd be awesome. You could sure. walk on stuff all day. It was that, that's, Those days are gone. Those days are completely gone. I even caught wind yesterday that Disney has changed their policy. When I was in high school, I was in the, I was in the band. I was in the marching band. And of the course you were. And all that. Yep. Bando. Cuba? No, saxophone. Oh, and, of um, course. Saxophone, the one instrument that can work in a marching band but does not belong in an orchestra like ever. But they can't tell the kids like, well, we got nothing for you. So we're just going to have random sax parts as part of this orchestra. <laughs> so um, as a thing we would do every year, though, Disney for a long I don't, don't know the name of the program, but they would invite like high school marching bands and others yeah. would come and perform and march down the parade route and stuff. And it's a really fun experience. And then as part of doing that, you get to stay at the park all day and have like a free day at Disneyland. This was a normal yeah. thing for me growing up. Every year we'd get to go and do our Disneyland day. I'd get a day out of school to do this. It was great. So just recently, like I think within the past week or so, Disney has now changed its policy policy where they still want you to come and perform, but they're offering discounted tickets for you to enter the parks afterwards. They're making you pay and you can't participate unless you pay to buy a ticket to enter the park. Hmm. At the same time. So now they're forcing schools, underfunded schools, if they want to do this. And marching bands have hundreds of people to somehow get the money to cover the hundred plus dollars to let your kid go to the park for a day. I think it's a pretty messed up move. I think it's indicative of Bob Chapek, the current CEO, just desiring Thanks to Thanks a squeeze. lot, Bob. Bob wants Oops. to squeeze every last nickel out of everyone before he dies. And and for some reason, he doesn't get the memo because Disney's stock price has gone down by, what, a third probably in the, since his leadership? I don't know. Hmm. So, well, that affects the church because we own Disney. I know. So, don't go, people. Pit, you know, sp- vote with your wallets. <laughs> You're also at the age too, where if you took your kids, you'd be the dad in the park who's like, "We're staying here all day. You be happy, and you're gonna enjoy." It. Like, right? That's the age of kids that you have. Uh, I You're fully admit, with one frustrated kid that's all red and you know too fussy to even ever be tempered, and yeah. and you or your spouse has to stay with that kid while the other ones kind of enjoy the park, and then you just all end up being mad at each other. Yeah, and and I fully admit it's like I don't I, I want them to have the magic I did of being a casual visitor growing up mm-hmm. when it's okay to go for a couple hours on a weeknight, hit some rides, and have a great time. And look, but that doesn't <laughs> exist for me now, so it's like the pressure of having to go there and make the visit count and not get stuck in a massive crowded day with huge lines that kids don't want to wait. Like what, what good is my kid going to do? If he's standing in line for an hour for some ride, they're going to freak out. They're not going to, they're not going to have a good time at all. So what's the point? Would you like a hot take? Oh, I would love a hot take. Disney something in Texas. You mean like they should build a Disney park in Texas? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's been discussed at some point, but I don't think they'll do it. Why not? If they well, can make the, billions of dollars at another place and lessen the crowd on the West Coast and ah, on the East Coast, why wouldn't they do it? You are assuming they want to lessen the crowds. You see, this is this is this is a supply and demand thing. This is some market economics at play. Mm, the people mm. are still coming despite the price increases, the crowd, the inconveniences, all those sorts of things. The people are still coming. Only until people stop showing up because it becomes too much to bear. Will they act in a different way? But Disney mm. seems intent on catering only to upper income crowds at this point. 
and it's not hurting them so far. Um, the Texas thing, yeah, I don't think they have any incentive to like thin out the herd, so to speak. Mm. And when they built the parks in Florida, it was deliberately to kind of capture the eastern half of the country while Disneyland captures the western half. And if you put a park in Texas, well, that's like that's the dividing line right there. So yeah, then what happens? I don't I don't well, think, you know, it'd be bigger in Texas because Texas. That'd be massive. Well, this was a fun digression. I enjoyed it, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, everybody. It was I great be, to see you again, Jeff. If, uh, if any, if anyone, uh, anyone, all these people who host, you know, Disney podcasts, you want me as a guest, happy to happy to show up. Though I'm not like that hardcore of a person. Like I don't own any Disney paraphernalia or mm-hmm. anything. I see no sure. antique posters in the back of your uh, video. No, though, if you did look right behind my head, I do have a book that has poster art from the Disney parks. You know how they have those posts, those cool, you can't design yeah, posters yeah. for the rides. I do uh-huh, have a book uh-huh. that celebrates the poster arts from the parks. Yeah. That's about it, though. That's all I've got. Okay, okay, so okay. I'm not one of those guys. I don't go every year. There's people who do this. They go to Florida every single year. That's their vacation. They take their family to Disney World every year. Well, there's the people that have like the pass, like the pass of all passes or whatever they call it at Disney. And they go enough times to justify the cost of that, yes. even They've though they also, don't even live in the same state. They've also changed the past structure quite a bit now as well. That's another area of anger for people, but we'll spare we'll spare everyone that. Um, but if any of you have magic key, let me know. So uh, fun week in Latter Day Saint news, everybody. But it's a grab bag week, right? We don't have one giant story jumping out across the board. Lots of fun things that we can get into. And um, I'm just going to get into the more details about General Conference because um, General Conference is coming up here in just a couple of weeks, and I'm a little bit confused. About some of these details, it doesn't tell us much that we didn't already suspect or know. Like what? What's so confusing? Nothing confusing. Okay, it's very, this is a very short release from the newsroom of the church. So they had announced a few months ago that conference would be in person once more. Okay, um, mm-hmm. more people. You know, they had limited number of people in the conference center in October. It was the first conference back in the conference center since pre-COVID times, uh, and then a small group hung out there, journalists and others and stuff like that. Uh, but then they said coming up in April. More people can come. They didn't specify how many. They said a limited number of tickets would be available. And in all of this, as I've said before, the curious thing is they've not once mentioned COVID as the reason why. They're only saying because Temple Square is such a construction zone it's, right it's now. It's a real mess. It's a real mess. And it is. It's a big old temp. It's there's there's not a lot of places to be, you know, because even between sessions, the hangouts, the mingling around yeah. Temple Square, not, that's not as possible right now. So understandably, they don't want to inundate the the parcel with too many people when there's nowhere to put them either, right? I mean, imagine funneling an entire conference center's worth of people through the purchased plaza of Main Street because they've got nowhere else to go, and then they just like flood into City Creek or something like that because they just don't have anywhere else to hang out. That said, of course, I'm sure food court owners at City Creek are all about it because, you know, got to get your, got to get yours. It's the big weekend. But the funny thing was they never said it was related to COVID, not like we're easing back into this. COVID's still a thing. We're thankful it's lower and we're easing back into it. So we'll have some people, but we're still going to be careful. So the main thing they announced this week is that they are limiting uh, general conference to 10,000 people per session. And they are openly encouraging those who attend to use public transit, which is good because the church and the Utah Transit Authority will provide free use of public transportation for those attending conference. A conference ticket will serve as a bus pass and pass for rail systems the weekend of conference. I've never heard of them doing that before. I know Utah, what was in February, you guys had like, they ran free public transit for across mm-hmm. the state. For or Black something History like that. Month, yeah. Yeah, sure. I, they've actually done the free uh, the free transit to general conference for probably a decade. Has that been a thing? Mm-hmm. I've, never it only- heard it, I've never heard it that you have to show them your general conference ticket. 
Yeah. But I know that that on the weekends, the general conferences, it's always been free free rides. And is it all? But has it only been localized? I mean, they're basically saying it's through UTA, and you can use free public transit. I'm assuming this means that you, if you're down in down in Utah County or even up in Davis County, you could ride Front Runner and go yeah. and do it that whole way. And that's the yeah. whole thing's been available, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. And what they're trying to do is say, "Hey guys, remember we could actually use this transit thing, please." We really, guys, you got out of the habit of doing it with COVID. Can you please ride our transit so that we can continue to have this system? And the church is like, let's do that. I appreciate, though, that the church would get behind this. And I like that Utah does did the free months idea. I know there's that bill. I don't know if it went anywhere. Some, some, someone in the assembly introduced a bill. They want to make all the public transit just like free at the point of mm-hmm. use forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which would, it would basically, the point, it would require municipalities or transit agencies to make it free for use at the time of, of use. Um, and then they have to figure out how to do that. I don't know if that'll go anywhere, but it's an interesting idea, right? I mean, public transit's a good thing. I think Utah's an interesting example of a state that has done well with more investments in public transit and people didn't think it would. I mean, you can really think the twenty the 2002 Olympics for that right. when they started building the tracks lines and uh, it turns out people actually enjoyed it. So they've expanded the tracks lines and they've built the front runner and they've done stuff, which is like good on them, man. Cause I think we are as a people often politically averse to public works. Cause mm-hmm. that means more government and you know, yeah. you know, I'll tell you what talk. though, uh, about 50% of the people that I work with, uh, with the day job down at BYU, they ride uh, or they go to the park and ride park, ride the front runner and then ride the bus into work just because it's, it's so direct to the campus. It really depends on where it is that you work and where it is that you're going. Cause sometimes it can be super cumbersome to get, you know, 10 miles away. It's an hour and a half and that just doesn't work, but you know, you can get 60 miles in an hour. Sure. Why not? Why would you drive? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've used public transit to go to work extensively over the years, but now I don't mind that I work at home. So anyways, this is happening. General conferences in less than two weeks. Uh, they are saying consistent with the best data available, they're going to make the wearing of face masks optional during the conference. And then if that changes, of course, the policy may be modified. So we'll keep an eye on that because we know there's the, there's the, what is it, the variant of Omicron? That's the thing right now. That's yeah, it's the a sub-variant. The sub-variant of Omicron is potentially becoming a thing. We'll hope it does not. So uh, keep your uh, eyes peeled for that. And 10,000 in the conference center means essentially every other row, right? Because isn't the conference center like 19,000? It's like 21,000. So yeah, it's half. So every other row. Which is fine. It's it's how it'll look at when they give the opening prayer at the priesthood session anyway. No different. (laughs) And people are still filing in. It's the most embarrassing thing, folks. It's like we have this beautiful hall and Utah is full of members of the church. And the and the camera pans out during the priesthood session. I'm like, dude, there are a lot of open seats still on the sides for this thing. I mean, where is the demand, people? Come on. Uh, you you, <laughs> you, you mentioned general there. conference and I want to talk temples and uh, there is an intersection of temples yeah. and general conference. So Tell me more. anyone who knows me knows that I like to get passionate about things that perhaps don't really matter. Uh, maybe they matter a whole ton or maybe it's just a fun thing to uh, to rant about. Uh, but in the fall conference, that is October conference of 2018, that is the conference where President Nelson said, no longer are we Mormons. That's a win for Satan. Let us be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And at that particular general conference, he announced 12 temples. Yes. It is my supposition 
that has not been disputed at this point that those 12 temples that were announced at that general conference, that is the fall, October 2018, will be the last temples to receive a Moroni. So what, your question before we started recording today, which temple will be the last to have a Moroni to don the top of its building? Well, it'll be one of these 12. How about this? It'll be Mendoza, Argentina, Salvador, Brazil, Yuba City, California, Phnom Penh, Cambodia, Praia, Cape Verde. And I think they released the picture of that, and there is no Moroni on that. Uh, Yigo, Guam, Puebla, Mexico, Auckland, nope. New Zealand, Lagos, Lagos, sorry, <laughs> Nigeria, Lagos. Davao, Philippines, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, or Washington County, Utah. And I'm pretty sure the Washington County one, the Feather, Feather, no, 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 no. That's uh, the so red. Feather River is Yuba City. They renamed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Red Cliffs. Red Cliffs? What's the one in Washington County? Red Cliffs is the Washington County one. I think it's between those two. I think those are yep. the only two of all that crop that still have an Angel Moroni on them. And I think it'll depend on which one is done last. And I, I think with the way it's going, it looks like Feather River is running ahead of Red Cliffs right now. Yeah, so I, I was think- just down doing a wedding right by the uh, Red Cliffs one. It's just a shell of a temple right now. So, yeah, because they've got most of the uh, clad. They're doing exterior lighting on Feather River. So I think oh, that wow. one... That'll get one, and then yeah, I think uh, I think Redcliffs will be the last one with Moroni. We actually, I think one of our authors, uh, Corey, over on our website, wrote a lengthy article about, and he and he agrees with the same argument you made. You know, when things were announced, there's kind of a cutoff line. Um, it says a Salta, no Salta, Argentina might also have a Moroni, mm. unless they change the plans. Unless Mendoza you. is Salta, no, I'm, I'm afraid uh, you know Salta, Salta also is going to have Moroni unless they change plans. So let's keep that one in the mix. When was Salta... And Mendoza was not announced with a Moroni. That doesn't have one. Salta was announced in uh, April of 2018. So okay. sorry. Well, then it's of not, course, it's, it's not, fine. It's, it's fine. not from that crowd. But if you look at a cutoff line, when the, a lot of the ones even from October 2018 uh, did not include a Moroni because like Phnom Penh never had one. Auckland mm-hmm. never had one. But you said Puebla, Mexico, though was announced in October 2018, mm-hmm. does have Moroni. Allegedly, mm-hmm. that one's coming along, too. See, so, you know, I, I just wish and I hope, and if I have those uh, those Ooh. prayers that I throw up as we go towards a general conference, like, I hope it, it we can talk about it. Can it be a thing that we can finally say, hey, we've been sneaky. We just want you to know that we notice we're not putting Moronis on all the temples. I actually read, and maybe it was in Corey's article, but I don't think so, uh, that the the church was quoted as saying they want to have more general and broad appeal, especially in poorer nations, yeah. and to have a gold statue on the top of our elegant building uh, made it feel unattainable to to a certain members of the church. And in some ways, that can completely make sense. I, I don't know that I I didn't heard that about Moroni um, himself, but I get it. Well, it's a they statue. Have, it's not Moroni. Actually. Well, no, it's the it's the actual Moroni. He moves around <laughs> temple to temple, and he's a uh, shapeshifter because on some temples he's, he's flying, and other times he's standing up. And, and did you know there are positions. temples? There are some we've standardized the Moronis that have been used in recent years, but some temples have uh, slightly different statues of Moroni. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not just the, not just the flying thing, but like I believe no. the I believe the one in Los Angeles. He's actually holding the plates, which he's not always mm-hmm. doing in every single mm-hmm. thing. There's there's some ways to. We've standardized it, it and then we got rid of it. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, we'll see. I get that. But the thing I've heard is, of course, that you know they've wanted to make temples more 
architecturally representative of the area they're in, not just the style, which I appreciate that when they've made some like Tijuana and the one in Pueblo, like they actually have Spanish Baroque elements, but also not to be an, uh, I'm not going to say ostentatious, but far too elegant of a building. And I think this is really well exemplified if you look at the temples in like Haiti and the one and uh, the one in uh, Kinshasa and the DRC. Beautiful, but very, very, very simple buildings. Like it reminds <laughs> you of when they built the temple in Freiburg, Germany, which was then communist East Germany. A very simple, straightforward building to get the work done, not to be yeah. anything anything bigger than that. Um, and I could also see that. So you know, you know, imagine if you're building something that looks like the San Diego Temple in a developing country. It's like, hello, here we are, yeah. prosperity, prosperity doctrine. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. insensitive so, uh, at the very least. But I don't know about the argument about not doing Morona in certain areas because it's like there's all these newer temples going up with no Morona. Like they're building a temple in my mostly native Yorba Linda, California. Yorba Linda has sure. one of the highest income levels in the country. And uh, they're they're not suffering for money there. That's because it's not it's it's the argument that I've maintained that I just wish we would talk about at general conference. It's not Moroni's church. That's why we're not doing it anymore. It does it it is weird to me they're cagey about this because I know journalists have asked here and there in the temple department. Everyone just kind of just just kind of. Let's a glance off their shoulder and doesn't engage. Mm -hmm. And that makes it so weird to me. Like, why can't you just talk about this openly? What is, is there some weird big secret about it? I don't think there is. I don't understand. Just from the simple point of curiosity as a member of the church. Um, they well, have said I mean, a few things. They have said that we've gotten in the habit of expecting Moroni's when it wasn't always the case to have the angel Moroni on a temple. And then it kind of became more of a, became more normalized like in the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. when we started building a lot more temples. And then we even added it to pre-existing temples like Provo. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe we just got used to it. The church is trying to say this wasn't always the thing. So it doesn't well, it got to be, the, it got to be the big ceremony, right? It's like, you know, that was the big, there was the groundbreaking that was huge. And then the, you know, hundreds of people, especially the temples here in Utah, when they would put the Moroni on the temple, hundreds of people would gather to watch the angel Moroni hoisted to the top of the temple. Oh, yeah. And then they just did it this past weekend in, uh, in late, Leighton, Leighton, Leighton. And late, and that's that was kind of what stimulated this entire discussion. Yeah, they they gathered in late, and every, they had the crane. Everyone stood out there and clapped, and yay, and got so happy. I wonder if, and wander down this road with me for two seconds. It, right. Isn't it isn't a part of, and where were you taught this growing up? Uh, you know, out in the mission field, uh, <laughs> uh, about how Moroni would uh, beckon, you know, with his the call of the trumpet, the second coming of well, the savior. Not, yeah, like that's the whole point. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that, you know, on his buildings, it would obviously be kind of the, the, the physical moniker and, and welcoming of, of the savior to the temple. And, yeah. and maybe people aren't ready to, to let go of that. Maybe we're not. I also think part of it is not just the, uh, not being too, I said too, too pijo, as we said in Spanish, like, you know, not, not putting off, uh, an impression of wealth or niceness with a gold leaf statue, but also, it's just our move to move away from anything that is not Christ-centered. Period. Mm -hmm. I think, we're, for, which it, it is, it does intrigue me that we haven't gone to the length to like axe the Moroni on some other existing temples. They did in some. I think the temple in Thailand was going to have a Moroni, and then they took it out of the plans. That's the mm -hmm. only one I can think of where that was the case. But elsewhere, they've just kept it for some reason. President Nelson's kind of let it slide. You know, who knows why the the, the couple of them? Because it was before he said no more. Yeah, well, it's funny though. If you've got, I mean, if we're talking very clearly from October, if you're talking October, when October is when they said, you know, the name mm -hmm, of the church, mm -hmm. all that stuff, that still gives you Puebla, Mexico, Feather River, um, California as ones that will have Moroni and Red Cliffs 
ones that will have Moroni. They were announced after that line in the sand, but they will keep Moroni for some reason. But I have to imagine that's that. I mean, think about it. Like we changed, you know, the even we even got rid of the famous, you know, Moroni statue in our the Gospel Library app. You know, it was the, the mm-hmm. same the silhouette. Like obviously, we're just moving away from the imagery in general. Um, sorry, Moroni. Probably just part of it. Yeah, sorry, Moroni. So that's fun. Another uh, other temple news, by the way. The church presidency has announced that um, temples are going to gradually return to normal operations. We're back gradually. to it. So that you might remember, as I'm sure you've seen in most of your congregations, COVID is effectively over, apparently. And <laughs> it's been over here for a long time. I, <laughs> I, I think this has been kind of a funny whirlwind for a lot of people. It's like, uh, you know, that's we've talked about it before. It just kind of cracks me up. Like in a matter of a week, the whole church was like, all right, it's done. And yeah, I'm tired though, of that. Even though the, the immunocompromised and others are like, uh, guys, still a problem. So, but it says, but they said, you know, at the time that temples still had to maintain some of the criteria for COVID because it's a largely elderly population helping staff the temple. Sure. Um, closer confines a lot. So they were still limiting the number of people. Sessions have been, some temples have limited session capacity to like 30% of room capacity. Masks required, all that kind of stuff. And they said at a later date, we'll revisit that. We might be approaching that later date in a letter dated March 15th from the First Presidency. They said, now that more people are immunized, we are pleased to announce that temples throughout the world will gradually return to more normal operations, including the elimination of face masks and capacity restrictions. Obviously, this will be done, I think, on a region-by-region, case-by-case basis in concert with the temple department. But uh, it's happening, people. They're going to move to phase five, which doesn't officially exist, but that's what I'm sticking with. Phase five. And uh, that really just means that means things will just be, you know, back to normal. And uh, well, and and with it, you get your temple back. When does that open house start in D.C.? Pretty quick here, right? Next, end of next month, we finally do the D.C. open house. About bloody time, man. How it's, many sessions do you have to be a part of? Because I imagine that that you, the members of the church out there, are like, listen, it's all hands on deck. We're doing a four-month open house. They have not actually reached out to us specifically for much staffing. They had volunteer lists, but mm-hmm. it is interesting the difference. Because like when they did the Newport Beach Temple in Orange County, we were our stake was clearly tasked with certain things. I mean, there, there was a lot of organized outreach to ask us to help out and do certain things to help out with the open house. I haven't really felt that this time around. They've said it, they've had some online links where you can just like put your name in to help out. But my, I think the demand has been so robust to be a part of it that mm. there wasn't really an opportunity to do much else. Like the only thing left was like handling parking, just like waving a baton to wave people in. They need somebody to do that. I'm like, I'm not doing that people. No way. You want me to give a guided tour? That's who I am. Yeah. Come on. What's Don't limit would've... me. Don't limit my potential. They'd probably limit me because of the beard, though, and just say, mm. yeah, I, I don't know if you're on board. No, so we're excited it. for that. Um, I will. It's really funny to me the more people I talk to in my ward, stake leaders and others, how the, like everyone will say, like, well, you know, of course, the, we're, we're rededicating the, the temple, you know, late this summer. And then almost immediately when anyone says that, they all go like, <laughs> like, OK, we, we hope an eye roll yeah. and uh, basically an expectation that Salt Lake is going to tell us, actually, we're pushing this back into November now because they've done it so many times. Um, exciting stuff. Well, though. Very. Will it be the first time for you and your kids to go to a temple or have they have they been to a temple before? Uh, I took my youngest to the Philadelphia open house. Cool. When, your youngest when, or your oldest? My oldest. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> 
I was going to say, <laughs> all right, older kids, I'm I'm going to task myself with taking he the was, youngest of you to the temple. He, yeah, he was a year and a half old or something like that. And so uh, we didn't have any others at the point at that point. And uh, we're, he was a cute little dude going in front. He didn't remember it at all. Of course, I was actually showing him pictures of that experience. And uh, of course, he tells me, he's like, I think I remember some stuff. I'm like, sure you do, buddy. I'm sure mm-hmm. you remember when you were a year and a half that, old. You know, that's a gorgeous temple for anyone who hasn't ever been to the Philadelphia temple. Because yeah. you have... I, I don't remember the name of, I think it's a Catholic church that's just on the other side of the freeway there. There's a, there's and, a basilica right nearby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, it's fun. It's fun. It's also, uh, it's on low. A, and that, a, a quick note, no security at the, uh, Philadelphia temple grounds. I went there in the visitor center. It was open, but nobody was there. <laughs> I had to use the bathroom. I was out wandering the town and I was like, oh, cool. The temple's right here. And went into the visitor center and wanted to chat with people and ask them questions and went, used the restroom and then wandered the entire building and found no one for almost a half an hour. That's and weird. I never did find anybody, but then I just left. And it's an interesting visitor center because they kind of just wedged this little two-story building like just kind of up against the wall, like next to the temple. It's great though. I, I, I think the church had uh, such a coup in terms of getting the the site that they did for the temple right there off Logan Square in downtown, you know, in city center Philadelphia. Like you said, it's right by the cathedral of uh, St. Peter's and St. Paul, this beautiful mm-hmm. Catholic structure. Logan, Logan Square is this iconic center of the city and just right there, kitty corner from it, boom, there's a temple just hanging out. Well, it's pretty cool. Well, and don't forget the thing that probably most people would go to do there. The steps that you can run so you can be Reading like Rocky. Market. You can keep going up, the, up. Benjamin Fra- the Benjamin Franklin Parkway and get up to the museum. Yeah. Which is a great museum. If you haven't been, fantastic museum. The Philadelphia Museum of Art. It's incredible. They've, they've spared no expense. The ability to get you to digress is something I take great pride in. <laughs> What, well, it's, well, I could do this like articles of news where you blast through like 40 news stories and give each one a minute and a half. This happened, well, this listen, happened, this happened, this happened. Listen, this it's happened. Just, you know, it's just, a, it's just a different take on it. A lot of times when we do the articles of news, we just want people to know, hey, you know what? This happened. Let's move along. Is that yeah, happening? All, fine. We can move along. The point is your temple might return to normal operations, people. That might happen. Maybe. Who knows? Someday. In the last bit of temple news, let's go here. The turn of several dozen shovelfuls of dirt. I loved how this story started. On Saturday, March 19th, signaled the <laughs> beginning of construction of the Freetown Sierra Leone Temple, the country's first temple. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Well, uh, when you, so, and if we're following your style, that's all we say about it, right? That's it? Yeah. <laughs> we say, yeah, lots of members of the church. Then we sort of fa- flash forward down to the end of it where we say, oh, there are 22,000 members of the church in Sierra Leone and 79 congregations. Which is pretty impressive, honestly, for the church's young history there. It's huge. Uh, my bishop so, is from Sierra Leone, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. That yeah, is so cool. A, a lifetime member of the church from Sierra Leone? Uh, a convert from the church in his late youth, you know, kind of early, maybe early 20s. No, he was a convert. He went on a mission, though, to uh, Kenya at the time. He was one of the first outsiders, like, to serve in Kenya. He wasn't from the country. Very wow. cool guy. And this has been a lot of fun for him ever since they announced the temple there and watching him track that. Because obviously, he still has plenty of family there. and um, So very dear. Not that I've been to Sierra Leone, but since I have that one that one little relationship to the country, it's been fun seeing them get this little blessing. He's no, like, He's known where the temple's going to be for a long time, for example. Sure. You know, he's an insider. It's like, it's going to be right by the embassy, U.S. embassy, I promise. I'm like, all right. 
Houston, Would you ever yeah. travel uh, like to a Sierra Leone or like to a place that you have maybe never been before or have only been a time to go to a temple dedication? Are you? I was about is, to say is that your jam. If you didn't have the qualifier of temple, I was going to say, well, yes, Richie, that's the point of travel to go to a place I've never been. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the temple yeah. part, like, would you travel for a temple? Is my question. Uh, I think more. It's like if the place has a temple, I will. I would want to try to check it out and do work sure. there. But I think it's. I'm trying to think if there are any temples that would be so important. I would like make that the trip. Hmm. I don't know if I'd be that that guy. No, included if it's around. Yes, but I'm not going to get on a plane and be like, guys, 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 guys. I really need to go to the Stockholm Sweden Temple. I don't even hmm. care about Stockholm. I just want to go to the temple there. Hmm. Hmm. What about you? Is that your jam? Well, you want to? Uh, I mean, I uh, I'm thinking uh, like this summer when the Helena Temple gets dedicated. Like we're doing that because I got some family up there, but we're going to go strictly when we're going so that we can be there for the dedication. And that's cool. And that works. So we got family there. It makes right, right, right. it makes sense. And when you're somewhere like the Intermountain West, I mean, I think that's. A little bit more. Of it. I'd be more inclined if I were somewhere like Utah. I'd be like, oh yeah, man, we're getting a new temple down there in Ephraim. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go down there to Snow College, folks. They got a McDonald's. It's going to be hot. But I, let's but I am the guy. I am the guy that if I'm in like Chicago and I don't have a car, that I get a lift and go all the way out to the Chicago temple because I want to see it because I'm in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm I'm in the same boat. Like if there's a temple around, I want to check it out. We were in St. Louis a couple of years ago. No time to do a session or anything, but yeah, we drove out and checked out the temple site in St. Louis before flying out because I just wanted to mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. it and enjoy it. You know, yeah, Kona, Hawaii. Way. We did that too. That was kind of fun. We're driving that's down a, the main drag in Hawaii, and you're like, "What the? That's a that's a little temple there on the side of the road." It is. It's a little mini one. I'm surprised. We predicted a temple um, in Maui, I think, our last time around. Did not transpire, of course. But I wonder if Hawaii is due for another temple at this point. They it just is. have Laie and then the one down in Kona. Got to have more faith, people. Come on. Well, and now you get the, since uh, the Hawaii mission was divided into two missions, now you can do it. Yeah, the more, more. One thing I love about missions, let's talk digressions. You love digressions real quick. Yeah, bring it. Missions are interesting to me only in that mission boundaries do not always correspond with stake boundaries, especially in places where it's less important somewhere where stakes are maybe denser, like in mm -hmm, the Western mm -hmm. United States. But you can go to a lot of like foreign countries. I know that my, my nephew was just called to Portugal on his mission, for example. And if you look at the boundaries of the stakes around the Lisbon area and then the boundaries of the Lisbon mission, they do not cleanly overlap. And it's always been curious to me. If the church has organized its stakes, its members in a certain way geographically that makes sense, it's interesting mm -hmm. to me that the missionary work would not follow those that same logic. You know, hmm. um, it's just it just intrigues me if you're in that kind of sense to not, uh, and it doesn't always affect them. Like in my mission, we had a number of stakes, but it wasn't like any of them were in the risk of like rubbing over over mission lines or anything like that. But uh, that's well, I mean, stakes are organized point. in the way that there's leadership, right? So you have to have a certain amount of different leadership, and then that's how stake lines can be drawn. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense that a mission would be different because... I mean, a mission can follow whatever the mission president wants and the church want to do. But it is kind mm -hmm. of interesting to me, only in that, like, if you're a missionary serving in an area, you could be in this other mission entirely that's like a couple of wards that are from like a different stake. So if there's like state conference, you can't go because it's because yeah. it's in a different mission entirely or something like that. I just think it's interesting. I don't I don't necessarily debate the logic behind it. I just uh I think it's curious they don't just make it line up cleanly all the time just for the sake of the missionaries serving in like the same mission, the same stake, being with those members, knowing those members, not being kind of picked apart and balkanized, so to speak. So 
Yeah. You know, you, know, you, you talk about the, uh, the stake lines, and I appreciated that you included this article. Uh, talking about the all-church basketball competition for the love of the game is what it's called. That's Which the article. Which is a very bad Kevin Costner movie. What's that? Which is a very bad Kevin Costner movie. Oh. The baseball cool. one for the love of the game? Come on. <laughs> no, I've never seen it. Oh, it's a very long. Anyway, okay. okay. You is that watch? the one? It's baseball? I thought he yeah. was in uh, Field, of Dream- Field of Dreams. Also a baseball film, Richie. But is that Kevin Costner too? Yeah, it's Kevin Costner. He was also in Bull Durham. Kevin Costner loves baseball. He played baseball at Cal State Fullerton. He's but a, he's he, uh, a, he was the in baseball. the golf one too, the the Tin Cup. He was also Isn't in the Tin Kevin Cup. <laughs> well, that that one came out after he was a famous celebrity, and then golfing became a normal part of their life. That's what you do once you're rich and have time to burn, right? You well, and golf. he was Robin Hood too. There's also, there's a connection with all these also things. the stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Yes. Uh, also but, becoming a member of the Sioux. Also, <laughs> tribe. Yeah. The, the Tonka. Also, also, <laughs> some kind of water pirate. Um, when there's no in land water world, anywhere. yes, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, and uh, one of the baddest men in Yellowstone in the TV series. I can't do the. Everyone talks about the Yellowstone thing. It seems like the kind of show that like parents would love. Like, it, it have you not watched it? No, I have not watched. Oh it. no, you yeah, you got two little kids. My understanding is it's full of violence and language, and I'm supposed yeah. to seek after good things, Richie. Yeah, so yeah, I sought after good things. I just happened upon those things as yeah. I was seeking. <laughs> and the, I, got I, I couldn't look away. I got detoured on my way to the good things, and uh, that's okay. I wish that they would bring back. And of course, this is a story in the news this past week because March Madness is going on right now, yep, the NCAA yep. basketball tournament. And they think, how can we apply this to the church at the Deseret News? And so they decided I, it, to. It's good synergy. To write about uh, back in the day when. And, and this was a huge deal. And I've talked to people of this era where it would be a traveling basketball tournament, meaning in Salt Lake. And I don't, I can't remember if they played at Deseret Gym uh, long since. Uh, abandoned building. I think was that the gym that was destroyed to make the conference center. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but but people would travel. You it, you would have I think ward competitions and then compete at a stake level and then stake basketball would compete at a region level and then region level would compete and anyway. So it did all drill down to where yeah. it would come like a March Madness competition yeah. in Salt Lake year after year after year. But re- but but regional, not just in Utah. Like you had people traveling around the country competing. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's what I mean. Like you oh, would yeah. like you oh, had yeah. the representatives from the DC area that they would come out and they would play against you know the Washington State players. But they would all come, and it was a huge thing for commerce in Salt Lake because of all these people coming in, and a huge thing for the church because it was a, a rallying time for thousands of members of the church to mm-hmm. convene in Salt Lake. And then yeah. we got rid of it. I didn't know they did this. And they even the, the article even kind of proudly touts that basically nearly twice as many players participated than those that participate in the actual March Madness in the NCAA tournament, which is roughly 5,000. And this, this involved up to 10,000 church members. And the church was all about it at the time. You had uh, pre- Elder um, Benson, later President Benson, speaking about how, you know, it helped it helped foster good growth and teamwork and all the all the good young things for a young man to go fight against communism it helped them <laughs> develop themselves uh i think it's quite i don't know i get i it's sad to me that we don't do stuff like this anymore i don't know like this you know road shows steak plays all these like things we used to do as part of our community that we just stopped 
Well, and it's so fascinating because like back in the 50s, there were the the missionaries that were called to Australia to play oh, yeah, basketball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it basketball to, or baseball for that one? No, basketball. basketball right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. to, yeah, but they were called the Mormon Yankees. That's why you get kind of yep. confused because you're like, you. Yankees is a baseball team. But in this case, it was a basketball team. But like uh, former uh, presiding bishop of the church, David H. Burton, he was a basketball player that got called on a mission to yeah. Australia to play basketball. So there were these players at BYU, Utah State, University of Utah, other places that if they were really good at basketball, that's what they were pursuing in college. The church would call them on missions to go serve in Australia to teach the people of Australia how to play basketball. And and there's an interesting, I think it's in the 52 or 56 Olympics, where there's this interesting like intersection, cross-section of members of the church and the Australia Olympic basketball team coached by a member of the church. And lots of people found their way to the gospel because of these missionaries coming to play basketball. And we just don't do that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. I don't know. It makes me sad. Oh, we should. Long, I long for a simpler time when we could do fun things like that. Yankee, Yankee. Uh, makes me think of my mission. Sorry. Why not? <laughs> they would yell at us in Spanish. Yankee, Yankee, go home. That's what they'd say to us. I, I don't understand why we couldn't do it one time, right? Like, hey, guys, we used to do this 50 years ago. We'd like to do it one time, 2025, get your teams ready. We're going to be competing, you know, in these different age brackets, and we're going to go towards this, and, and well, then we'll be done. who paid for it? I mean, did the church foot the bill for all the travel and everything? Like, who? No, the individual members paid for you, it. You just did it, huh? Mm-hmm. You just how put together did, how often fundraising. Were these every annual year. tournaments? It was every annual. That, and that's the crazy thing. I could understand treating it at least like a World Cup situation. Every four years, something like mm-hmm. that, we do this thing. It'd be awesome, man. Imagine that Saints from all over the world now fighting each other and we know that church ball is like they call it you know the only fight that begins with a prayer right that's right. the uh, little aphorism um this could be a great chance globally to engender hatred amongst our membership <laughs> so i don't i don't know why i would walk well, away and you got to fire up the music favorite scripture first nephi three seven they're just gonna play at 145 pounds Hasn't played a professional lick of sports. Give it up for Jeff. If I weighed 145 pounds, that would be very scary. <laughs> very scary. I'm not a short person, so that would be scary. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't I, I I see you from bust up, so I have no idea. I'm about six mean. I'm about six two, Richie. So one forty five. Really? Be, yeah. You really are? Yes, I really am. I have a hard time believing that. Okay, fair enough. I, I don't know why. I didn't I mean I didn't think you'd be a short individual. Yeah. But six two? A little bit shy. I mean we, we round up a, a smidge. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like are we like five eleven and a little shy of six two? I'm, I'm rounding like up from five nine. What can I okay. say? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh sticking with basketball since we're on it, good good little uh coverage from LDS Living, which I think is actually covering a story at KSL.com. So maybe we should just link to the KSL one. But, uh, you know, Sean Bradley, the famous former NBA player, was in a biking accident uh, earlier this year, or I guess last year, mm-hmm. and left him paralyzed from his rib cage down. It's like crazy accident, famous basketball player, and Sean Bradley is famously a huge person, seven foot six. And um, he's not rounding up. He's actually seven foot yes, six. Yes, precisely. Yep. Um, but and now he's paralyzed from the rib cage down, which is just, I can't imagine enduring that. And so it's just kind of a nice rundown of his experiences, sort of positivity, humility. The humility angle was interesting to me because he said that 
like the doctors, the caregivers had to kind of rewrite the book to take care of him because of his size. Like Mm -hmm. they couldn't just treat him normally. They had to make a lot of extra considerations. His wife kept sort of a happy journal, a positivity thing. And he mentions like, you know, I can mope all day, but there's nothing to do. We're human. Like I'm not, you know, he could say he never try not to get angry. You know, why me? He's like, I haven't been angry with God about this. It's not my relationship with him. It's more like, okay, if you ask me to do this then just help me through it which I think is an excellent way to look at things. Bad things happen. And do we spend our time saying, why me, why me and being mad about it? Or do we say, great, this is happening. Help me then, help me. And God will help us get through things. I can't imagine the trial this is for his family and for the rest of his life. It's just crazy. But uh, I appreciate his positivity in the in the face of extreme adversity. I would not. I would have a hard time not being pretty mad if I lost my mobility like that. So good for him. As we talk about sports, the the article about BYU, we are not being investigated uh, for <laughs> our know. relationship with Built Bar. Uh, a weird Tom, Tom Built Bar Holmo, uh, they sponsored his middle name, and Kalani Built Bar Sataki, uh, the football coach for Brigham Young University, uh, they are not being investigated for their. I just okay. I, I love a, that this is not a story. We just want to let everyone know this is not happening. It makes lit- me think there's something happening. They literally wrote an entire story based off of the head of BYU Athletics, quickly, like saying in a quick aside, yeah, they're not looking into this. And now mm-hmm. it's an entire story. I guess the issue here, of course, is since they ruled, the, the courts changed the rules around NCW, um, sorry, around um, compensation of sorts or sponsorships for NCAA players. They famously have been banned from it for a very, very long time. And you mm-hmm. still cannot pay collegiate athletes. And But Built Bar, which is an energy bar company that's up in American Fork. Protein Bar, Burbers. come on. Protein bar, bar, I'm sorry. Anyway, they have like sponsored some of the players, but there is a very fine line because I guess the actual, the coaches, the BYU itself can't be a go-between. It mm-hmm. has to be a direct relationship between player and sponsor. And this is kind of what they were getting at that, you know, has BYU violated any rules. I, I want to think that, I mean, I don't know where they did this, but I think it, didn't they like meet in BYU's locker room to do this? Isn't that like this, the rule violation? Well, They're not well, saying it's a, it it's, is. It's a fascinating thing because it, it really is like coming from the Built Bar Studios in Built Bar, Utah County. You know, it they have, and, and props to Built Bar because I think as as uh, the NCAA and as BYU is trying to figure it out, they've just said, listen, we're all on board. Whatever we can get away with, let's do it. Yeah, and so, pretty much all it is. <laughs> yeah, we can I mean, get away with. They, they are getting so much love and attention um, from the all of the athletics department at, at BYU, right? N- not just the, the popular ones, the baseball, the football, the basketball. It is the, you know, the women's gymnastics. It is the women's softball. It is the women's basketball. It is the track and field. As much as Built Bar can be a part of it, they have said, here, whatever we can do, let us be a part of it. And so the you bar see is, it The bar is everywhere. built. Yeah. yeah. By the way, if you want an interesting podcast, a few months ago, uh, Kurt Frankham over at Leading Saints interviewed the founder of Built Bar because mm. he's also a bishop. He's also a bishop right now. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting learning about mm-hmm. his experiences. I actually enjoyed that one. So that's, check that that's out. That's Kurt Built Bar Frankham. Yes. That's yeah, how Kurt, he got that. Kurt interview. is bought and sold pretty much by most of uh, Utah <laughs> culture and finance. I mean, let's be honest, people. That's right. That's that right. man cannot stand. He cannot stand alone as an independent journalist anymore. Uh, but we can, folks, because if you go to patreoncom slash Mormons, you can fund this show directly. That's right. We are beholden to no one, no one. And you and you can support Richie at the Cultural Hall the same way. Did you know that? Go to go well, to patreoncom slash the Cultural Hall. 
Richie's doing good things that take his time and resources. It takes him away from the work he's supposed to be doing in order to provide you this content. <laughs> so um, here's a random public square magazine in general perplexes me. All right. If you haven't heard of public square magazine, you're not a Facebook friend with enough Mormon apologists mm-hmm. um, because they will share things. It's a little bizarre because I feel like they started as a little bit more, not a progmo blog necessarily, but some of their Which content. Progressive Mormon for those. Thank who you. Don't know. Well, I'm trying to, you know, let people feel like they're insiders. So, um, some of their content's very fascinating to me. Uh, there was a really bad one the other the other day. Actually, I should have brought it up about the uh, church's finance mm-hmm. situation, and you know, basically taking everyone to task for having issue and saying the church should pay more and give more because we have so much money. Yeah, someone someone uh, sent me a direct message uh, and was like, "Listen, you posted about how the church gave four million to uh, the folks in Ukraine, and that's yeah. great." Four million. I mean, that's a lot of dollars. Four million dollars, but it's point zero zero like two five percent of a hundred billion. So maybe they could do more. Maybe we could do a hundred million. They were just like, when, when you know, when are we going to stand up against these guys? When are we going to tell people they should do more? And I'm like, I, I don't know how much is is enough. What is enough? Is fifty billion too much? Well, on the Russia side too, like the church is never going to say much more than they have because they don't want to imperil the situation of the saints in Russia and our already tenuous relationship with the government there. That anyway, that article was funny because it, basically the argument came down to the church's mo- money is well managed, ergo mm-hmm. this is good, and that's like mm-hmm. that's not exactly like the point, but okay. But here's a different article from Public Square Magazine by Jeff Biddulph, Jeff who does spell his name correctly, by the way, G E O F F. Uh, and this article is called The Church Still Loves You, Richard Dutcher. It kind of amounts to an open letter of sorts. Uh, Richard Dutcher, if you're not familiar, is kind of regarded as the godfather of Latter-day Saint cinema. He was the one who wrote and directed God's Army way back when, when no one had made movies like this. And all of a sudden we were like, dude, someone made a full-length feature film about LDS missionaries. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. And I remember all the, everyone was freaking out in Southern California because you'd find a couple theaters that played it and everybody wanted to go see it and all this stuff. Well, and it was actually good because it had a story. It had feeling in it. I mean, I would Yes, it was It was a drama. It opened the door for folks, and that's not a knock, but for people like the Hailstorm, like the Kurt Hale individuals to uh, make, you know, comedies lampooning a lot of things, which also were met with varying degrees of success like any film. At first. So, and then um, we're a disaster. Yeah, I will... <laughs> I pretty much only go to bat for the first singles ward. After that, it's all kind of not as you know. First if you look ward, carefully, you can you can see this guy in the second singles ward, Jeff. That one disappointed me a little bit. Now it's disappointed me even more. Knowing uh-huh. this information, actually, I want to keep an eye out for that. Then I'll have to I'll have to watch it again and check it out. It's bad. First, I even have a speaking line, so don't blink. The first singles ward is actually pretty well written, which is why I like it. It's got a mm-hmm. a, a pretty sharp script. The other movies suffer and lean too much into just like lampooning goofy aspects of LDS culture. And don't even get me started on the RM, the entire weird plot at the end of him getting arrested for drunk driving mm-hmm. when like none of that would have happened. It, it, I'm all for suspending disbelief in films, but that one makes no sense whatsoever. I'm like, did you breathalyze the guy? Did you breathalyze <laughs> the guy? Because this whole thing would be over otherwise, but they're like, no, we have to have a conflict somehow that makes no sense. <laughs> so on to Richard Dutcher. <laughs> he inspired many to make all kinds of films sons oh sorry sons of provo also sure yep uh anyway but the thing is richard dutcher has since not stayed uh part of the church really he's not active in the church his his faith journey has taken him elsewhere uh and the author of this Je- mr mr jeff you know mentions that he still believes god is a gift he ha- puts some youtube videos with interviews of richard dutcher clearly god he still has a belief in god 
he cares a lot about faith. He's just not involved in our church. He does. The author does say he doesn't know if um, he's come back to church or anything like that. He also notes that Dutcher said his favorite project is the film Falling, which is an R-rated movie based on Dutcher's life that is described as a drama that chronicles the mental and spiritual collapse of a Hollywood videographer. That's got film noir written all over it. Mm-hmm. So he's not here to judge Richard Dutcher. He's here to tell us we love Richard Dutcher. And then kind of pivots in the end to say, Richard Dutcher, people in the church still love you. There is room for you in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, no matter what you've gone through. Despite my many shortcomings, I was also welcomed with open arms when I joined the church. And I know you would be welcomed also. Richard Dutcher, you can have the faith of Elder Dalton. I believe Elder Dalton was his character in God's Army. It was. Right? I've heard your testimony, and I know you believed it then. The testimony is still inside you someplace. Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris left the church, and they came back. You can too. Conveniently not mentioning Sidney Rigdon in that statement, which is interesting to me. But um, I, it's a nice sentiment. I just like that this is like, a, it's not, it's like a random, it's kind of like just a random excuse to write about Richard Dutcher because clearly what he wanted to say in the end was Richard Dutcher, everyone loves you. Please come back to church. But sure. I have to pad this out with 400 extra words and just kind of write about who Richard Dutcher is. And, uh, you know, they just, please come back, Richard Dutcher. I think we should write this to all just prominent Latter-day Saint entertainers who well, are not I mean, here anymore. You could also pen one to Will Swenson. That's what I'm saying, Will Speaking of Swenson. Uh, Sons of Provo and of Singles Ward, he's since yep. left the church. Several of those individuals. Many of those people struggle, and that, that's their life. Um, obviously, we should... Mindy Gledhill, everybody. That's the one we mm. really need to recapture. You can't record the sum of all grace and then just disappear. It just doesn't work for me. You know, uh, Richard Dutcher, huge Cubs fan. <laughs> Well, he must have been thrilled in 2016. Yeah. Well, what here's the here here's how I know that. Uh, I was I got super inundated with loving the Chicago Cubs in 2016 when they won uh, the World Series. And Richard Dutcher and I hung out several times at sports bars watching the uh, Division Series and then the World Series together. But did you invite him back to church? Did you tell him the church still loves him? Well, I so so this is this is true and real, and maybe you'll believe it, maybe you won't. But any of oh, my man. friends who I know were members of the church and have subsequently left, at some point in my knowing them, I'll grab them by the hand, kind of the way that, that your grandma would grab you by the hand. You know, so you got one, you're doing the handshake, but then you have the other hand on the other side, and you just sure. sort of coddle the hand. Yeah. And I look at them in the eye, and I'm being serious. I do this to everyone that I know that at one time was a member of the church. And I say, as I look them in the eyes and I say, hey, you know what? You're always welcome back. And if you ever need anything, let me know. And some of them think that it's very funny. I genuinely mean it, but it has become sort of a trademark thing that I do with anyone that I know was at one time a member of the church that that several people talk about the awkwardness of the, have you had the Richie handshake? The stare in the eye handshake? Mm Mm-hmm. You're welcome back whenever, whenever. And if I can do anything, let me know. Well, the problem is it's become a joke now. So it's your way of like saying something sincere, but do you say it with a little bit of a wink in your eye, you know, while you're doing it? Like you're, you're always welcome back. Well, I, I say, you. I say it with, with just enough sincerity that they feel it, but also just enough levity that it's not going to be awkward the next time I see them. Oh, that's the, that's, that's exactly the approach I took on my mission. Like, <laughs> You could get baptized. Just saying. Yep. Here and then they'd be are. like, "Dude, you have pl- you have planted that seed. I am I am in. I am. In. It's okay. We didn't baptize anybody in Spain. What am I talking about? Come on, don't be silly." Um, 
That's a funny story, Richie. Like you that. shared uh, this. Get Richard article. Dutcher on. Let's, let's you and I. Let's talk to Richard Dutcher. We'll do. It I'll together. get him. He, he Facebook friend of mine, Richard Dutcher. I'll reach out. Let's do this. Uh, Elder Holland went to West Point and uh, dedicated a new chapel and to those into that are protecting room. our freedoms. Now here's the deal. I, I think it's cool. They got a new chapel there, uh, dedicated, super fun. You can, you can read about it in the links in the show. No- do you do links in the show notes? We do links in the show notes always and forever. Yes. Yeah. Sir. So you guys can check that out and, and be able to see this service. Here is what I want to know about this story though. And this is where maybe you and I differ. You would actually talk about like where the building is and you know what it means for those people to protect freedom. But the picture that's associated <laughs> with the article, I can't get past how he's it's like grabbing Elder the Holland. guy. Yeah, it's Elder Holland, both hands behind the neck of of uh, a soldier, and they're they're really close to each other. The proximity of their faces to each other. Now, I'm not insinuating anything, you know, anything like that, <laughs> but it is an uncomfortable looking picture to me that I just I don't understand why that picture is the way that it is. To so me, you can check co- that out I, in the show notes. I, I actually thought the same thing when I saw this photo. I was like, "Ooh, that's a very like passionate." It looks like you know, like a grandpa like grabbing his boy. Yeah. Like, maybe they like had a quick hug and then it's pulling out from the, the could hug, be. I and then I he's also, telling him kind things. But I also thought that it looked like maybe the soldier was crying a little bit, and so he was kind of oh. like you know holding his head and just saying, "Oh, you're so great, and I love you," in the way that Elder Holland would. But the there needs to be some context for the picture because otherwise it is stopping your tracks. What is going on in this picture? Yeah, well, it does say, um, yeah, I'm with you on the emotion. I feel like if I zoom in, you can see a slight bit of, of glossing, glistening right near where the tear duct would be. Mm-hmm. Well, it does say he's, he has an emotional talk with Cadet Brody Lowe. Yeah. It does say he has an emotional talk with him. That's that's all we know. But I don't I don't know if I got emotional with you that I would grab you by the back of your head and and like and hold like you you're about close. to throw down. <laughs> Get down there. Boom boom. Um did he uh was there any talk of musket fire since he was uh, at the I did not I did not read that. Um Fair. Your words not mine as that's my employer and not yours. You can go ahead and say that. <laughs> <laughs> um another one here. So you might have seen in the past couple of weeks, we talked last week a little bit about how there was a lot going on with Heavenly Mother and a lot mm-hmm. of talk on the social media about that. Another thing that was going around at the same time was referencing a 2003 Ensign article by then Elder Nelson about how God's love was not unconditional. And I think you've seen a slightly similar talk by President Oaks in the time mm-hmm. in the years since then. Over at By Common Consent, an article about the actual nature of what this means to call, they're asking, is God's love unconditional, grappling with the 20-year-old uh, LDS conundrum. And I think this is interesting. For one, to be clear, the author basically says, President Nelson, you don't understand the meaning of the love in a scriptural sense. Okay, so take that as you will. But basically the idea is that in modern English, we say love is a type of emotion. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my dog. You know, love, this emotive thing. Mm-hmm. I express love to you. And therefore, when people see that President Elder Nelson would say that God's love was conditional, in fact, there's many on social media and elsewhere who have taken offense to this because it's they're like, well, what is this? For 20 years, we've had this doctrine out there, quote unquote, saying that God does not actually like necessarily love me in the same way a parent loves me. Like his love is not unconditional. Mm-hmm. But the article makes a point to say that the translations of the word love from the scriptures and Ben Spackman uh, would vouch for this as well. 
speaking more about divine love in the sense of covenantal loyalty is the way Ben Spackman puts it. And when you look at it in that sense, it might make a little more sense to say that like, it means that God does love us in the emotive sense. Mm-hmm. But if if we're talking about love from the scriptures, essentially saying like, but he cannot bless us if we do not abide by his covenants and his rules. And that is what it's really saying in the scriptures. The problem is this has been sort of like, we've removed that context because the scriptures will say God's love is essentially conditional. And many, there's instances where you can read it and it says it right there. But what it means is, his blessings are conditional upon us doing our part. But then we've kind of removed that context and just said God's love is conditional and imported it into our modern day language. The author argues that President Nelson should have said, yes, God unconditionally loves you, but he doesn't unconditionally approve of your behavior or unconditionally bless you. Um, it might be a reach to assume Elder Holland does not understand the distinction in those things. You know, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for any of that. But I do think it's a interesting, interesting thing to to break out given the discussion here. Maybe understand that uh, despite what that talk might have said, the scriptures are not saying God does not love you in a parental sense. It simply means He cannot approve or bless you if you do not abide by uh, what He wants. I thought this was a good take, given the fact I've seen this, this the old uh, Ensign article going around. See, and my thought was just you know how you have kids and you I love sure them. Do. But yeah. sometimes you don't like them very much. Yeah. Like that's all I felt like that is, right? Like sure, God loves all of us, but there's some of them some of us he doesn't like very much. Okay. I think even I think he even likes us pretty well. He just the different experience yes, there's times with your kids you want to strangle them, but there's a lot of times if you take a step back, I do try to think of the way God views me, and I really think God is like mad at me. I think God will express experience disappointment in me. Sure. Yeah, it and doesn't work. And, and, and just think like Oh, Jeff, come on, buddy. Like, yeah, come on. He loves you, you can, a ton. He just doesn't you can like do, you very much. You can do better than this. I just never feel like he's saying he doesn't even like me in that instance. It's more like he's like, buddy, come on. Listen, I asked him. He doesn't like you very much sometimes. <laughs> Carry on, Richard. No, no, I feel like that's how parent. you know, we try and personify a heavenly father like our earthly father. And I feel like that's a very, very easy translation, right? I, there are some times where my dad loves me so much, but can't stand to be around me because of the choices that I've made. See, that's things. I don't, I don't feel that it goes as far as God not being able to stand being around me. Absolutely disappointment and such. And there's for sure. And I guess when I experience those times of frustration with kids, in my mind, I think one, this is human and it's okay that I'm feeling this way as long as I don't make them feel like, feel less than because of it. Sure. But I also think like part of me improving myself is not to experience the, the any seething rage about my kids' behavior, but to find a way to get into a place where instead I'm being more responsible, uh, more empathetic, trying to see things through their eyes more rather than strictly through my eyes as a parent. I think a lot of the rage that comes from parenting is because we get upset and it builds upon itself and you um, you stop thinking about how it is for your kid and you're just thinking about how much they're bothering you and how they're not doing what you want them to be doing. And if you can take a step back and try to think about the way your child sees this, it makes it easier not to get as mad. It's not easy, though. I'm, I'm not saying yeah. it's like an easy practice. Let, let me revise my statement then. Good. Old te- Old Testament God very much. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, a lot, okay. a lot of anger there. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's okay. yeah right. Good, good. I just want to make sure you don't get the good. letters. Good, It's going to be good. I've <laughs> got Arrested Development references all over the place today. There we go. Uh, the Relief Society celebrating 180 years. Congratulations, Relief Society. Yay! Uh, you know, 
I think it's a big deal. Uh, I think that it is uh, titanium. I want to say is the 180th anniversary gift. I think that's oh, they still do it. Yeah, still doing yeah, that. yeah. Uh, the thing that I think of note uh, worthiness with this is not only, you know, the largest and oldest women's organization and President Bingham um, said on a visit to Nauvoo to where obviously the Relief Society started. We minister to one another just as they did in the early days, mm-hmm. an amazing organization and su- support for women. My takeaway from this was I remember when it was the sesquicentennial of the Relief Society. I have yeah. that memory and that was 30 years ago, which makes me feel super old. And mm-hmm. it was when I learned the meaning of the word sesquicentennial. I think I learned sesquicentennial from, um, was it like First Vision Commemoration or Church Organization or something like that? Because the Salt Lake Temple in the 90s was the centennial of the Salt Lake Temple. But right. I've also, the word sesquicentennial absolutely comes from church experience for me. Yeah. I've never heard yep. it anywhere else. So I hope they, I hope they had a big cake. Uh, it doesn't look like they did. Looks like they just celebrated and talking about the history of uh, the Relief Society, 180. They don't, they don't look a day over 60. Congratulations. Not at all. Society. And I like that they keep up the fine tradition of dressing for the occasion. When they're out visiting a developed nation, they're like, I'm still wearing my dress and my blouse. You bet. Walk around, walk around this field that way. No <laughs> way am I going to put on some appropriate pants and boots to do this. No way. Um, I want to ask the sisters, though, should we get back to the Relief Society's roots and do you feel like you should travel to temple sites and offer uh, sustenance and like laundry services hmm. for the construction workers who are building the temples? Hmm. Well, in a way they do. You know, what through time? Oh, you mean like old school? <laughs> yeah, like I feel like, on, that, like that's, that's part of the origination of it. I want them to be sitting there outside be like, here you go, big guy. Yeah, <laughs> what is what is your email address for people to send the hate mail to this episode? That's contact at thisweekinmormons.com, everybody. Okay. Yeah. That's Jeff. What can I say except you're welcome? So, um, are we done? I only go an hour. How long are we doing this? Uh, one thing I want to bring up there's one thing I want to bring up here over here at the Zalafahead's Daughters. Always interesting stats here. Decided to do a deep dive on the counts of name withheld articles in the ensign mm. or slash Leahona over the past couple of years and seeing if there's anything to it. So um, you, you can read it's, it's a long article. You can read all the details, but it's interesting because they broke out the nature of the articles, like the subject matter, whether it's an article about pornography, about unmarried sex, crime, bad thoughts, <clears throat> mental illness, divorce. And then trying to pick apart if the author was male or female, which you could usually do in most cases. And then finding like like um, 100% of the articles on abuse were written by women. Hmm. 82% of the articles on being inactive were written by women, for example. Um, 100% of the articles about porn were written by women. By women. And, and they also broke it out to discuss whether it's about, um, he, I think it's she, I think it's an artist, but uh, about, um, totally losing my thought here. Well, there's also the part about learned good perfect. Basically, like how was it at the end? Did, was it you learned an experience? You learned something from the experience. It was good in the end, or in the end, it was like had a perfect ending. They found males were more likely to write stories that had a perfect ending, but women hmm. were more about learning to accept difficult things. Uh, and also, the drop off is interesting because the number of name withheld articles has dropped significantly in the mid aughts, and in particular since President Nelson. Um, came into office, for example. There's 13 from 2016 to 2012 that can be broken, but but that had name withheld. But six of them were in 2016 and only four 
Oh, seven total in the remaining four years did that. Yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't do name withheld. There's no reason. Well, of course there's a reason. You're trying to protect no. your identity or don't want to embarrass no. other people. Then don't write an article to a magazine for a worldwide church. Here's the other thing, though, that I want to believe in. It's one thing to say when it's published. The Ensign, the Liahona, famously, they hold on to content for a long time. Like, right. if you write into them, they're not going to publish your stuff two months later or something like that. You might write something and they don't publish it for 10 years. Sure. <clears throat> this has absolutely happened. So. For all we know, so I'm saying, is it is it reflective of the times, right? Or is it all a delayed reflection of the times in a way? Is, no, it, it, is, it is being a responsible, not journalist necessarily, but you put names to things. The only, yeah. the only way that I could see that you could do this is say that I write a letter and I, or I write a story and I want the ensign to publish it. And they, 10 years from now, come back and say, Hey, we would like to publish this. And I say, Hey, I'm not a member of the church anymore. Go ahead and publish it. Then at that point, I think they would say, okay, we'll put this as an anonymous person because we don't want the source to be a no longer member of the church. But what that, if the art for me is the only anonymous way that you would do this? And, and Richie, I appreciate your perspective because I know you've had a, your own faith journey for sure, sure. That's, that, that's taken you out of the church and back in and things like that. So I, so I do appreciate your perspectives in that sense because it's very easy for me to look at this and say, look, I get it. You're sensitive about things like what if your article is about past sins and, and, and things you've experienced and committed and those are dear to you and, and those are experiences that have been, you know, you've worked with bishops and, and loved ones, spouses, what have you. But obviously you don't want your name out there speaking more publicly about it. No, I no, can understand. If you're it. writing, no, I I wholeheartedly no. disagree. If you are writing an article sharing a story, how much more power does it have to be Jeff from Virginia? Hey, that's a real person that I could find than anonymous. That's true. I don't know that, who said it, but there was someone who said that if I visit with my bishop and I can find my way back. No, Jeff in Virginia said that if I can visit with my bishop, I can find my way back. Completely different. That's true. I mean, I'll give you that. Do you think this falls in line with the same idea of, uh, like, I've long believed we should be a little more open with these, each other in like elders quorum lessons and things yes. like that. Like, yes. if, like if, if brethren in your ward are struggling with things that might be serious, there's a line where it should go to a bishop. But like, I, I've rarely been in a lesson. I've been in lessons when some guy actually says like, I struggled with like porn for a long time. Like, this is a hard thing yeah. for me to work through. And it gives you whiplash because we, we keep these things so buttoned up and bottled up because they are private. But I think sometimes there is value in us being a little more public with some of, in the appropriate setting and context, yeah. but being more public with what we go through because it can help others know that it's real for one. Like, yeah, we all go through stuff. Like, it's easy to look at everyone and say, oh, they're all so much better than me. I am weak. I sin. I know the rest of the quorum doesn't sin. They're all mm -hmm. so good. Right. It'd be helpful. I no, it's the times that you grow closer to other people because you recognize that they're real people in those elders quorums or relief societies where you sit there and it's a bunch of people that, you know, you're, you're going very surface on whatever the topic may be. You're not gaining anything from it, which isn't no. mean to mean, you know, everyone needs to overshare or any struggle you've ever had, but when moved on uh, by the spirit, when you feel like it would be beneficial for other people to hear about your struggles, you don't say something in your, in you know, to go to the, the where the story started, you don't go, you know, I heard that there was a gentleman that struggled with porn. And, you know, I heard that he, no, you say, hey, guess what? I am a gentleman who struggled with porn addiction. And the things that I found were able to be bump, a bump, a boom, whatever the things were to be able to come through it. And then people can relate to that person. We should no longer yeah. anonymize any sort of article in Ensign and Leahona unless 
And here's the one caveat, bringing it all around, full circle. Are you ready for this? Yes. Unless we attribute it to Moroni. Boom. I was going to say <laughs> attribute it to Zezrum. Ah. Zezrum. I like Zezrum. He's a good guy. I appreciate that, Rich. Thank you. Real quick, we're not going to have a big discussion on it. I'll put a link to it. There's an article over at Religion News about Putin's invasion of Ukraine uh, being rooted deeply in religion. Um, it doesn't specifically go into our church necessarily, but you can read it and kind of understand, I think, some of the situation as for why it's a bit difficult for us, our church, to continue to operate in Russia and just understand the role religion's even playing in conflicts like this and just think about what we can do better to not make religion a uh, a, a deciding factor in whether or not we invade our brethren. The long and short of it, though, is that it's not just about, it's about Russia becoming increasingly orthodox in its view of what it means to be Russian, as far hmm. as being Russian orthodox. And coupled with the fact that Ukraine has tried to throw off the influence of the Moscow Patriarchate of the Orthodox Church and attain autocephalous status, which makes them like their own. So basically, basically, Ukraine's Orthodox Church has been recognized by Constantinople, but not by Moscow. And this does play a factor into like Putin basically saying like, yeah, well, like the article even says Putin envisions a world where the political center is Moscow. The religious center is Kiev because Hmm. that's sort of the homeland for a lot of uh, Orthodox. You can read the rest, not overtly about our church, but I think it's worth people's knowledge uh, so they understand what's going on. And you'll notice with that story that there is an author that they attribute it to. (laughs) Richie's feeling it. All right, folks, I'm grabbing the mic right now like I'm a member of Limp Bizkit or Papa Roach. Suffocation. No breathing. Not going to say the next line because so profanity. So everybody, thanks for being here this week. Appreciate your time. Once again, go to patreon.com slash this weekend Mormons or slash the cultural hall and support your favorite podcast financially, remuneratively. That would be very kind of you to do so. And visit Richie over at the cultural hall.com where you can listen to a lot of good interviews that you do with all sorts of people. And I never know Ooh, how you me, can, I te- can I tease one? Yeah, you can tease one. Go for it. The uh, Thursday before general conference, we're visiting with a guy named Martin Polito who wrote a book, The Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother. So that's one we're excited about. Oh, up. boy. This after the after we know you're not supposed to be speculating about Heavenly Mother. Uh, it's not speculation. He is well-researched and active member of the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone, you know what? John DeLynn was well-researched and an active member of the church. Kate Kelly was a well-researched, active member of the church. Should we continue down this slope, Richie? Well, we can continue geez. down this slope. Okay, fine. Impressive. Listen to that podcast, everyone, and just tell them what you think. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcast, just like this show. And of course, you can follow both of our respective properties on social media, on the uh, the Facebooks, the Twitters. Do you Instagram? Of Apple course. Twitter? Of okay. course. We've even thought about TikToking. I have too, but I don't know what I would do. Yeah, same. Right, same thing. Anyway, so folks, thanks for being here. Richie, appreciate your time, buddy. Yep. Good to see you. So for Richie, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. <laughs> have a great week. We'll talk to you later. Bye.